Well, hello, everybody. I hope you're well. And while we're all feel a bit flat now, I fear that I may make us feel flatter by what all your emotions might change into a deeper sense of sadness, maybe by the end of this. Because today in our series on, on rhythms, practicing the ways of Jesus, we're gonna look at the topic of lament. It is a really sad topic to cover. Matt told me that I wasn't allowed to do this in February and make sure it didn't land on Mother's Day. Um, but here it is and we are in February and it is on a dreary Sunday afternoon. But as a church community, we want to create a culture of doing life together. And life and life in all its fullness. And life isn't all sunshine and flowers, is it? Life is rain and weeds and dirt and sadness too. So the passage we are going to look at is a passage that a lot of people probably want to avoid. Pete Gregg, back in October on Lectio 365, he himself even said that he didn't want to look at this, at this passage. It's perhaps one that's difficult and disturbing, but we are going to look at it nonetheless today and we're going to look at how Jesus informs how we lament as well. And before I begin reading, I do want to warn you that there is some violent imagery here. I'm not going to do what Netflix do and stop putting warning signs at the beginning of episodes. There is violent imagery in this. So if you've got small ears, if you've got, you, you feel really sad by what I'm sharing, I won't be offended if you all turn your screens off and I'm just talking to names. I get that what we're talking about today is really hard. And at the end, if you want to pray with me and Matt, then you are so welcome to do that. Um, but, and if you don't want to pray in a group, because sometimes when we say at the end, um, we will phone you later to pray with you. Don't feel that you um, have to share somewhere that you don't want to share. So our verse today, um, or our scripture today, is from Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of Zion while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. My tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy who's the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your children and dashes them against the rocks. This is the word of the Lord, believe it or not. What a psalm. It makes me feel pretty uncomfortable. Maybe it does you too. Especially that last verse. 
If you heard someone praying like that, you might be tempted to suggest some polite editing. But what that psalm tells us is that we shouldn't ever edit our words to God. It tells us ugly emotions are to be brought to God. These emotions we see in this, this psalm of lament and in other psalms and in the book of Lamentations are words that may be difficult to hear. But they teach us to bring everything we have before God. Laments honestly expresses every moral emotion out of those places. So a really early on question, do you allow yourself to be really real with God? Do you ugly cry with him? Do you shout at home and plead with him? Are you happy with him? Do you unleash all your emotions with him? That is every scale from happy to sad to everything in between. Even the stuff that we don't really want to talk about and that we hide away. It's fairly a common experience to feel the need to edit our prayers. I've sat in a room and felt like, oh, my words weren't very good, were they? Like we've all felt like that at some point, inferior perhaps with our words, but also that our words are too aggressive perhaps, or they're not right for that environment. And perhaps then that leads us to simply pray, to not pray at all, because we think it might displease God or worse, others and church doesn't help with this either you may have been in a church that expected you to be and look and act a certain way to carry an emotional state of a smile a put together I've got all my life together look how false is that and this carries on into our society Women are taught always to smile. If you're angry, you must be his, have hysteria or hormones. If you're career-driven, you're bossy. If you're sad, you are moody. Men are taught, if they are sad, sad to man up. A popular song says, boys don't cry. If you're a man and you're in touch with your emotions, then you get told to don't be like a girl and therefore putting a woman down even more because therefore you're using the feminine word as something bad. I was told by a church leader, quite a senior one, to not cry because it was a sign of weakness. They shouldn't cry in, in front of a church. And I tell you now, when you do, I did a funeral for a stillborn baby Try not crying while taking that. About three, over three years ago, our beautiful friend Emma was killed in a hit and run. I refused to cry in front of my friends because I felt as the ordained one, as the vicar, I had to hold it together for them. On the day of her funeral, my friends came to stay with me because I was the only one living where her funeral was taking place. And they couldn't get over the fact that I hadn't cried in front of them. 
and they basically forced me to cry with them to show me to show my emotion to be real of how I was feeling emotions are real and raw I am however thankful that this sense that we shouldn't show emotion in our society is beginning to change and I'll be honest I think we can thank our millennial friends for that because they come and they show their emotion they show who they are and they are fed up of what's gone before them to say that we have to have this sort of British stiff upper lip young people come and they're real our little people teach us it's okay to cry we come into the world crying and a lot of people end up leaving it crying too emotions are real so let's get real with them and lamenting helps us engage with those emotions but lament isn't really the same as crying it's different and it's unique. Lament is different to crying because it's a form of prayer. It's more than just an expression of sorrow or venting or anger of emotion. Lament talks to God about pain and it has a unique purpose and trust. It's divinely given invitation to pour our fears and frustrations and sorrows for the purpose of helping us renew our confidence and trust in God. Lament is more than a technique of venting emotion. It is our fruits of deepening spiritual life that has leaned us to wrestle honestly with God in prayer and even worship. It's powerful and it's a healthy part of human nature. The psalmist did it, Jesus did it, the disciples did it, Paul did it, and we need to do it. And Psalm 137 teaches us to hold absolutely nothing back from God. God doesn't require that we have our problems solved and our hearts in a posture and permanent posture of praise and thanksgiving when we come to him. We can come to him just as we are, honest, whatever that is. So let's unpack what Psalm 137 says. And here's a little bit of history about Babylon. Babylon was defe defeated Jerusalem in 587 BC. Loads of Israelites were killed and exiled to Babylon. But Babylon was actually an all right place. It had got rivers and food and wealth and jobs on offer. You did quite well for yourself there, to be honest. Maybe it was a bit like being exiled to Telford. You didn't have to worry about famine or food. It was quite a nice life. It was green and luscious. It was a place where you didn't have to worry about famine or drought. So this picture of a group sitting by the rivers of Babylon and weeping could appear a little odd to somebody outside. Why would this group be weeping in a place that was actually quite nice? 
But then the author of the song goes on to say how the Babylonians asked for them for songs of Zion. It could be that they did this out of spite or not really understanding what happened to those people, to these new cubbins, which were expressing distress to living there. They just didn't get it really with them. And they were effectively saying, cheer up, this is a great place to live. Come on, get over it. Come and sing your songs of praise. But this group responds by saying, no, we've hung up our hearts. They're on a hops. They're on a tree over there. We're, we're done. We're not going to sing praise. It's a protest to say we're not going to forget and we're not going to move on. For the Israelites, Jerusalem wasn't just a city that they lived in. It was a city of God. It was a symbol of God's reign and their identity as children of God. The temptation here from this group is to ignore the destruction of their city and the slaughter of their family and friends and their children. It's, the, it's as if they, it's asking them to forget about the destruction of their identity as belonging to God but they're asking instead to say, put on a happy face, assimilate into this new prosperous place of Babylon. Doesn't that somehow sound like something you might be tempted to advise someone to do? Cheer up, love. It's all going to be all right, Bab. You don't have to worry about that. You've got a nice life. You've got a nice house. Get over it. Or have you had someone say that to you? Look on the bright side. You're all right. Makes you feel rubbish, doesn't it? When actually all you want to do is cry and be angry. The psalmist has quite a aggressive response to this. He says that he would rather his tongue stick to the roof of his mouth and his right hand forget its skill than to ever forget his identity in God. He wants his arm not to move and not to be able to speak. That's how much he doesn't want to lose his identity in God or to eat as well because you need your tongue for that, don't you? For the psalmist being in Jerusalem is being in God's presence. These guys are angry and they're lamenting and they do not hold back. And this last verse in this psalm is, is bringing that to real reality. Happy is the one who seizes your children and dashes them against the rocks. There is a number of ways to understand this. And every commentary I read suggested these different ways and to me it didn't really sanitize it or make it any nicer. Some say children um, of Israel isn't, isn't probably related to people under 12, it's just for everyone. Others put a plaster on it and say, well, hey, in this time, everyone was killing each other. It was all okay. This is just the way of life that they lived. It was, if it was made into a movie, it'd have been an 18 plus. But I don't think that makes it any easier to stomach. I think it's meant to show the reality of the pain of these people. These verses don't say that it's 
okay to do these actions. That is not what is happening. But the psalmist is expressing his rage and his hatred. He has been replaying an image in his head and is filled in with him with anger. He's desiring an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's okay to feel. Let's knock the taboo out of the water that it's not okay to feel these extreme emotions of hatred towards people. But it's important in how we channel it instead. I wonder if you have felt like that at some point in your life, deep anger and frustration towards someone. And it's so easy to hold those anger and that frustration and just leave it there, to not give it to God, but just to sit with it instead and allow it to hurt us. To get fixated with fantasies of those who've hurt us. And we see it all the time in our society, people who are just holding on to the frustration to not giving it to God. We live it in a time of incendiary and anger. I can't remember a, a time when people were less cross with each other than they are now. We see violent protests on the street, road rage when it's your right of way, revenge porn, escalating domestic abuse, severe internet bullying. We see it all the time. And people don't know what to do with these feelings. But anger isn't inherently bad. Let's knock that out as well. It's okay to be angry. In Ephesians 4, it says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Paul here isn't saying that anger is bad. He's saying you need to deal with it daily. You need to give it over to me. You need to lament with it and, and, and rejoice and say, here's all my stuff, but I praise you still. Anger is healthy. Jesus got angry in the temple and furiously overturned temples. Jesus got angry with the Pharisees who called them a brood of vipers, which isn't very nice. It is right to be angry with injustice and hypocrisy. Controlled anger can be an appropriate response, but we must be careful. It's like sex, it can be used for, for good and for evil. And it must be managed carefully so it does not become destructive in our lives. Psalm 137 is, is saying that this is really important because he's expressing this rage to God. Not to hurt someone else, to God. He's not actually doing it. He's saying, God, here I am. This is how I feel. It's really big. It's a really big emotion, but you're going to have it because you can deal with it. And showing us that you don't have to have everything right before God in the process. We do not need to have everything right and be respectable before we come to God. What this verse doesn't have is a good ending. We, that's clear, isn't it? It's not a good ending. 
It's one of the few that doesn't. What I mean by that is that the psalmist is shouting at God and saying how he's feel, but doesn't end it with a, a sort of a praise, a doxology moment of saying, but I worship you still. Rather, he just gets anger. He's not really, he hasn't really directly said, God help me. He's just said, I'm angry. Psalm 40 is probably the illustration of how we should respond when we lament. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth of him and praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. What we see here is I lamented, God heard my shout for help. I have a new song. Maybe our cry for help is helping us with forgiveness as well. Helping us to heal. But crying out to God, and but by crying out to God, we are trusting in his sovereignty as well. I think forgiveness and anger are two vital parts of lament as well. When our friend Emma was killed, I became physically fearful of anyone who intoxicated was intoxicated by, um, by something. She was killed by somebody who was high and drew through a red light when she was crossing the road. And I ultimately believed that everyone who was drunk or on drugs was going to hurt someone. Um, I was angry, incredibly angry, when I had a, an email, I can't remember what, I think it was a Facebook message of someone who told me that they had taught the person that killed her like throwing my phone across the, the room, angry, screaming, why did you feel you needed to tell me that? But through speaking with God, through prayer, through being angry at God about why he took my friend away, through having to ask for help from counselling, through through prayer and through tears and not saying this is the point where I'm going to be okay but letting my lament take its course I was able to forgive and I was able to sing and praise God her whole accident was on the program ambulance they were out filming the day that she was killed and her dad on national TV said, she's gone to be with her father in heaven and I still praise him. I still praise God every day, nevertheless of how much that hurt. And I am so thankful to God for, for rejoicing, for prayer, for the joy that he brings me because God gives us songs to sing of praise. But we also have from God is hope, massive amounts of hope. When, when we look to the gospels, we see that Jesus lamented too. He lamented when his friend Lazarus died, 
when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he died. And we are told, um, well, sorry, and he lamented on the cross and he says, Eloi, Eloi, Lema Sabachi, which is translated as, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even when Jesus feels abandoned as well, God does not, Jesus does not hesitate to cry out and lament. Even though he feels alone and forsaken, he does not give up on his relationship with God. I said to Harry earlier this morning, I've been looking at the Gospels and I'm not really seeing what Jesus is telling us about lament. I don't really, what's this big thing that's going to come out that I need to tell people at the Minster? And then it was obvious. It was just so obvious I wasn't looking at it. What Jesus teaches us is that even though he was fully human and fully God, he struggled, he had emotions, he was angry and frustrated too. And that he still needed to ask God, his father in heaven for help. And if we're gonna live like Jesus, we need to ask him for help too. Friends, when we feel sad and feel hopeless, we have the knowledge, though, that there is life after death, that it's full of goodness and life. We have the knowledge that, yes, Jesus called out on the cross, but he died and he rose again. But that doesn't mean that we should not lament. I believe it's important not to try and move ourselves on from a Lent too quickly before we have given time to our grief. Yet instead of sitting in the pain, offer it to God and ask him for his help. Because for the presence of the shadow of darkness to exist, we need light. And we see in the Bible that light will never be overcome by darkness. If you haven't taken, if you're thinking here saying, I don't know what to take away from today. You need to take away that it's okay to have emotion, but to share that emotion, to give it to God, to journey with God through that, to ask for forgiveness, to be angry, but to live in those, that pole of, I'm angry, but there's eternal life in heaven and I have the hope in God. And I'm rest assured in that. And if you're not there yet, if you haven't come and made that decision, I encourage you to do so today, to come on that, that journey to see how God gives you full life, even in great anguish. I'm gonna just pray for you all as I finish. Heavenly Father, 
thank you that we have so many human examples in our Bible of what it's like to have emotion. Help us to be a community that is real with one another about how we feel, but is more importantly real to you about how we feel. Lord, thank you that you are eternal. Then we have hope in that. Lord, help us to sing your praises. Help us to sing a new song. Help us to have overflow and love in you every day of our lives. Amen. Oh,